Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. And today we're going to talk about the uh, conflicts involved when wildlife meets the urban part of Indiana. Uh, Mary Catherine couldn't be with us here today, but uh, Daniel Robinson, the assistant news director at WFIU, is joining me in the studio. And we have two guests with us today, Private Lands Program Manager Gary Langell of the Indiana Department of Natural Resources is here, and also Bloomington Director of Animal Care and Control, Lori Rehnquist. If you have questions or comments, please join us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can uh, join us on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And we can uh, – we're Twittering now. Noon edition is Twittering. So you can tweet your comments to noon edition, one word, noon edition. Or uh, we're also hosting a live chat on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can join the chat and discuss the, the show today. So we have uh, all sorts of technology. Daniel, you're, you're familiar with all of that. Uh, sure. Vaguely. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> well, Lori, thanks for being back on the show. You've been a guest before. And Gary, thanks for being with us today. Um, I, I reworded my introduction to talk about the conflict between wildlife and urban Indiana. We've been billing the show as the encroachment of, of wildlife on urban Indiana. And when I said that out loud in our newsroom today, Don Hewitt, who's a, a listener of the program and also an advocate for wildlife, said, what do you mean? It's the encroachment on urban Indiana on the wildlife. So, Gary, can you sort of address that conflict? Conflict. Yeah, I, I think Lori's um, – I mean Dawn's uh, right for the most part. But we're, we are seeing some wildlife that typically weren't associated with urban environments now moving into those urban environments so, like the coyote. Mm-hmm. OK. So the, the uh, issue of um, – there's urbanization in Indiana, so there's some habitat that's being, uh, I guess, disrupted, changed, and so what? What kind of disturb or what animals are being disturbed that are now going more into, um, you know, into the the urban parts of, of our uh, communities? Oh, sure, uh, possums, raccoons, skunks, uh, of course, squirrels probably have always been around, both in the urban environment as well as the rural. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now we're starting to see more fox, red fox, coyotes moving into those urban deer. areas. Deer, I think more – it works both ways with deer. Mm-hmm. You know, in some areas, they're moving out. Other areas, they're moving in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Canada geese. Mm-hmm. OK. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about all those things, I think. Lori, why is this a problem? Well, we get a lot of calls from citizens who, although they may mm-hmm. like to – Look at the wildlife. It's not so cute anymore when the deer is eating their garden or the raccoons under their porch or worse yet in their living room because it's come through the chimney. So our department tends to deal with nuisance calls and people asking for help. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, – let's, let's sort of get the, the different organizations uh, cleared up. Wild Care is also um, very active in our community. We did invite them to come on today and they couldn't be with us or I know we were trying to invite mm-hmm. them. We're not sure if we connected or not. Can you talk about the differences between Wild Care and, and your office? Sure. Our – the City of Bloomington Animal Care and Control really mm-hmm. doesn't – we don't bring wild animals to the animal shelter. We really prefer to stay focused on domestic pets. But again, our animal control officers are available to try to help people resolve nuisance conflicts. Wild Care is there as a rehab and releasing back into the wild type of an organization. They are a nonprofit. They do a, a lot of rehabbing and releasing, but they have limits as well. They're adult – some adult species they don't handle. They handle more of the infants and bottle raising and those kinds of things. Um, but again, they're there as a nonprofit. And when we get certain types of wildlife calls, we try to refer as many as we can to wild care. And if we pick up sick or injured wildlife that we think doesn't need to be euthanized but can be rehabilitated, we also contact Wild Care for assistance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Daniel? Well, Gary, we have a question for you on the, uh, from an emailer. Uh, she says, hi, Gary. This is from Lynn. He's, she says you went to college together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> she writes, uh, we have many deer in our Sycamore Knolls neighborhood. In fact, I've seen a buck with big horns walking down the middle of their street at noon. What should we know about existing harmoniously with the deer? Uh, that's uh, – I guess that's kind of an edge sword. Um, it's it's what can the community live with. Um, obviously, there's the aesthetic value of having those deer. A lot of people like to to watch them, feed them, but then also you have the problem of them uh, eating 
uh, all the hostas, um, the uh, all different kinds of flowers, the gardens. So it's a double-edged sword and it becomes really more of a community type of a problem or an issue. Uh, some people are feeding them and helping them to stay in that area while others are trying to fend them off. Uh, so it's, um, it's a mixed bag. Um, you, you can put up fencing around your gardens. Uh, you can put up um, electric fencing around your hostas when they're starting to bloom. There's a lot of different uh, chemical and odor repellents that you can try, but all of those tend to be uh, temporary in nature. Let's say there is a, a big buck in your backyard. What should the average person do? Just ignore it or try to scare it off or uh, call you? Ignore it. <laughs> uh, obviously, you don't want to take your kids outside and, and try to get, uh, get them to pet it or uh, put them on – try to get a picture of them riding on the back of the deer, uh, which we've had bad done idea. <laughs> in some of our parks. Um, yeah, bad idea. These are wild animals, so we need to to stay a good distance away from them and treat them as wild animals. We live. Uh, my wife and I live close to what used to be, well, what is Deer Park now? Which, of course, there aren't any deer there anymore. They've all moved out into the neighborhoods. But when we drive down the streets in the area and we see one deer, we've sort of become. I don't know if this is just a uh, legend or what, but I always think, well, they're, they're always two together. You know, if I see one that runs across the street, got to stop and wait because there's going to be another one. Is that That's common? a good rule of thumb because uh, typically uh, the doe is going to have her fawns from that year with her. So, uh, yeah, if you see one, I would uh, slow down and be cautious because more likely there is going to be another one uh, coming across the road. Mm-hmm. What's a, what is the deer population? Um, what's the story on the deer population in Indiana now? I know that it probably it's probably been what a dozen years ago that deer hunts were started in some of the state parks to try to thin the, the deer herd. So where do we stand? Um, of course, those are ongoing hunts. Um, every they occur every couple of years, depending on vegetation. Um, but uh, from a statewide perspective, our deer population as far as our harvest has been pretty stable uh, over the last five years. Uh, we did have a record harvest this year, uh, but that was in, due to an increase in antlerless deer being taken. Um, but for the most part, it's been pretty stable. Now, if you look at a number of deer hit by vehicles, that's gone up. But we also have a lot more vehicles on the road. So actually, deer have a greater chance of getting hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our phone number is 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can join the program at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And uh, we're talking with uh, Gary Langell who's with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. He's with the private lands – he's a private lands program manager. And uh, Lori Rehnquist is here. Lori is – with the uh, Bloom, she's Bloomington director of animal care and control, and of course, you know, WFIU goes to places all around the state of Indiana. So, if you have questions about wildlife from anywhere around uh, South Central Indiana, we'd certainly be happy to to take them. Um, you mentioned Gary. You mentioned Canada geese earlier. Yeah, not Canadian geese. Canada no. geese. Canada you know, it's geese. A common right. common error. That's Dawn's made. probably corrected many people. Uh, right. I'm sure she has. Um, um, I. I was told before I left that that, that is becoming a, a significant problem, that there's been an increase in population of Canada geese of something like 6 percent per year for the last decade. Oh, I – boy, I don't have my statistics yeah, yeah, with right. me, so I, I can't uh, verify that. But yes, we have seen an increase in the number of geese uh, in in urban environments and the big problem there is that uh, we don't have it here in Bloomington like a lot of communities like Indianapolis where it seems uh, almost every new development wants to develop a, a, a lake or a pond and, and, likely, and most, mostly because people like to be near water. And so they're trying to provide that amenity to the, the public. But the problem is every time you add water and you add grass adjacent to that water – that's perfect habitat for Canada geese. Geese are grazers. Mm-hmm. That's their primary food. Put those two things together 
and you've got a haven for them. Mm-hmm. I know we like to watch them. I, I love to watch them when they're flying. They're flying in formation and they sound kind of nice for the you know, 30 seconds they're flying over. But I would think they'd be a little annoying if they were living close to you. Well, the biggest problem is uh, the fecal uh, material that they leave behind. Um, uh, they leave a lot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, imagine going out uh, into the, your backyard, which is up next to an artificial lake now, uh, and it's uh, full of manure. Uh, you don't want your kids out there playing with it uh, or playing in those areas. Um, and, and that's one of the bigger problems. Then there is also um, damage that they do to vegetation and uh, they can eat down the vegetation pretty good. So how, so how do you deal with a problem like this? Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which regulates migratory birds including Canada geese, have, have given us uh, a lot of different options. Uh, we have several different hunting seasons for geese. Unfortunately, a lot of those geese don't leave the urban environment. And so we can't really address uh, reducing their populations effectively through those hunting seasons. So um, we do have the ability or landowners have the ability to go to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and register for the right to oil eggs or addle eggs of Canada geese. They can um, basically put oil on top of the eggs. The, the geese sit on the eggs. They don't hatch. Um, and so they haven't raised any young for that year. And that's a very effective way of, of controlling reproduction, but it still doesn't get to the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, are other ways. Uh, we try to encourage people to do mo- habitat modification. Rather than planting areas to grass, uh, try planting it to um, wildflowers, native wildflowers, native grasses that are not attractive food source uh, that provide tall cover that geese want to stay away from. And so, mm-hmm. well, this past summer I, I worked uh, in, in Jasper, and, and one of the stories I was covering was uh, there were geese on the golf course, which was a, a big problem because of the fecal matter and people trying to play golf and. Uh, one of the solutions they uh, thought up was to build uh, a fence by the side of the road because the little geese, whatever they're called, I'm sorry, I don't know. Goslings. Goslings <laughs> well, can't, would not be able to get over that fence. But the problem is they put the fence right on the edge of the road. So the mother goose would try to lead her goslings across the road and then they would get backed up in the road and be basically waiting for a car to come and get them. And I think that might have been the goal of the golf cars (laughs) owner. But uh, is that an effective way to to keep them off, say, your yard is to build a fence? Uh, Certainly fencing can help. Anything you can do to modify the shoreline, modify the vegetation around it, uh, even planting trees around those ponds. Uh, Initially, it's not going to help. But as those trees get tall, then it really limits the ability of the geese to fly into those ponds. Uh, they they need a lot of room to fly in and take off. Uh, so that's one of the things that we try to encourage people to do is plant trees for the long-term goal of, of eventually getting to, to the point that you're discouraging geese. All right. We've got our first phone call, and it's uh, Andy. Andy, go ahead. Hi. Uh, I've got a question uh, again on the uh, on the deer issue. Uh, I live in uh, Bedford and just out the outskirts of uh, uh, the Bedford city limits, and have had several encounters with with uh, deer with a uh, with cars. Uh, one was right inside of the city, uh, crossing 16th Street. Um, my question is this: uh, I know that the uh, the hunting season. Uh, at this point is is a specific time, and uh, I, I didn't know if there was any uh, anything out there that, where the uh, legislators or or the DNR was going to uh, uh, lengthen the season at all. Uh, it seems to me that I, I, I don't even know why they choose the season that they do in in late fall, you know, early winter, um, especially when that's the really the rut season as well. Uh, so I just wanted to comment on that and just ask, you know, is there any reasons why they're not uh, uh, hunting uh, in early fall or or even uh, late summer? Um, the other question or the other comment that I had was, uh, 
uh, over in my area, again, uh, this is over near Otis Park, uh, we have quite a big flock of wild turkeys now. Uh, and that's something you never used to see before, and, and now I'm seeing them pretty often. So I uh, just want to make that comment. All right. Gary? Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, our deer hunting season actually starts October 1 with the archery season, and that continues on through the firearm season, uh, which the firearm season starts uh, in November, uh, and we actually end up our, our deer hunting season in the middle part of January. So it's actually a very long season, uh, but it just depends on what type of weapon you're using. Um, there are some efforts right now through legislature to increase antlerless bag limits um, on deer um, in counties where we've had high deer vehicle collision problems. Uh, unfortunately, most of those counties are uh, heavily urbanized counties. So increasing the antlerless bag limits is really going to have very little effect on addressing the problem. The problem is really more vehicles on those roads. Uh, so it's not really going to address the problem. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot for that call. Uh, Lori, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, so uh, if people have, a, say, a dangerous animal or what they consider to be a dangerous animal, say, uh, in their yard or on their street, uh, who do they call – whose jurisdiction is it to come and take care of that? From our perspective, there are very few that we would consider dangerous. Um, we're certainly concerned about public health risks. So animals like raccoons or bats that carry rabies have maybe a different connotation for dangerous. And if they are sick or suspect a bite or contact, we, we would be the ones to help them with that. If they see a bobcat walking down the middle of the road, um, there's not a whole lot we can do. I mean, if, certainly if there's an imminent threat, then, then we're going to respond and do what we can, but we're going to try to contact DNR and refer people um, to someplace that's a little better equipped to handle that, that than we are. So do you have people that go out into the field with uh, cages and try we, to wrangle these animals up? <laughs> <laughs> we have animal control officers and, and again, our, our forte is domestic pets, but we certainly don't want either the animal to be hurt or or the public. So yes, we do have animal control officers that, that do respond to certain types of wildlife calls and we do have Again, we have traps and catch poles and equipment that we can use, but really geared towards domestic pets. Well, one of the reasons I say dangerous animal is in, in Terre Haute lately, there's been a lot of sightings of, of a cougar, this uh, mm-hmm. mysterious cougar who's been uh, seen in many different parts of the town. Some people think it's a hoax, but other people mm-hmm. uh, think it's real. And so uh, let's say there is a cougar. Uh, what do you do? Sure. I, I, I'll try to tackle that. Uh, first of all, most of these cougar sightings um, tend to be either a wild animal trying to find new range, uh, typically young males that are out trying to establish new territory, uh, but they for some reason accidentally get pushed into an urban area. Maybe a car scares them, a factory siren goes off, whatever, and they end up being in an urban environment. And believe me, they want to get out of there as quickly as you want them to get out of there. Uh, so they're just as scared as you are of them. And in most times, most situations in, in this area, they're going to run away uh, as quickly as they can. Uh, they're trying their best to get out of there. Um, now, in other areas out west where it is habitat, um, then it, it is a – it's a situation where people have left dog food out, cat food out during the nighttime hours. It's an attractive uh, situation. They become uh, accustomed to getting that food and they become accustomed to people. And that is where you start having the dangerous interactions between people. I've been interested in these stories you've been doing about Terre Haute because – was what three or four years ago that we had headline after headline about the cougars in this area or the panthers you know the cougars and the panthers of course north and south but but there were these big cats that were being spotted everywhere and nobody ever really found one no but there have been some uh, confirmed sightings uh, one in Chicago um, downtown Chicago and that one happened to be caught on film 
and then there were two up in Michigan uh, that what, were confirmed. What, what was it? Was it? They were confirmed mountain lions, mountain lions. Um, from out west. Um, these young males again travel long distances in search of new territory, and and so they do time to time show up. Uh, sure. More likely, though, uh, we do have people that have uh, mountain lions that they keep, mm-hmm. and and if they get out, why? Well, that's a good source. I think I'm sure it wanted to get out of Chicago as quickly as it could. <laughs> All right, we have three phone calls that are lined up waiting to talk to you. So Valerie is first. Valerie. Um, yeah, I'll try to make this short. Um, I'm out in the country, so I guess my situation is a little bit different than urban wildlife. But um, and there are, I understand, regulations about having dogs run loose. But if you can get the right dog, and not every dog is effective, but the dog I've got, I mean, I have no wildlife problem anymore out here in the country. And uh, you know, different breeds of dogs are more appropriate in terms of energy level and chasing things and this might not be applicable if you've got cougars because your dog might become bait but um you know if you can get the right dog that likes to chase things in its territory um i don't have any wildlife problem this dog chases everything that moves so you, that's my comment valerie you're in owen county right right yeah okay um Lori, what's the what are the laws in monroe county about animals outside of the city limits Dogs uh, dogs. dogs yeah. um, Monroe County and Bloomington both have leash laws. So you do have to keep your dogs and your cats on your own property now, whether you do that by invisible fencing, regular fencing, or you just have a dog that stays in your yard. Um, the law requires that your pets stay on your own property. But if your goal is to keep the raccoons out from under your porch, she's right. The, mm-hmm. the right dog might keep those raccoons out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really good um, uh, for dealing with um, – geese on golf courses. There are a lot of golf courses that now have dogs uh, specifically to uh, keep harassing the geese. And in fact, we have one nuisance control operator in Indianapolis that uh, uses dogs to help round up geese. So, mm-hmm. Well, how appropriate is it to have a dog with the, a dog with the intent of sort of keeping other animals off your property? Those dogs could also try to keep people off your property and maybe bite someone. Are there any ordinances or anything to tr- that, that deal with this? Well, the dog, of course, doesn't know that that's what he's doing. <laughs> like she said, the, oh, certain dogs are going to chase and certain dogs aren't, and that's not necessarily something you can control. I suppose you could try to teach some things. There are a whole separate realm of laws about potentially dangerous and vicious dogs, and that certainly is a concern. But I think some dogs just are going to chase a squirrel and it's just in their nature. I would also assume that there's there's some wildlife that could um, do great damage to some dogs. Yes, and you certainly want to be protecting your dogs too. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's take one more call before we take a a break. We're not going to get to both of them before the break, but let's take Adam next. Adam? Hi. um, Like you said, my name is Adam and I'm actually the waterfowl biologist for the Indiana DNR. All right. Um, Hi, Adam. (laughs) Hi, Gary. Um, I just wanted to call with some information about the Canada goose populations in the state. We actually have had a stable population in Indiana since about 2000, at about eight, between 80,000 and 125,000 breeding uh, Canada geese. It fluctuates year to year, but it's actually been pretty stable for about eight or nine years now. That's, that's good. So this news release that I saw earlier about the, the, uh, the population going up rapidly wasn't quite right. It, it skyrocketed rapidly for a, a pretty good length of time there in the 80s and 90s, but it seems to have leveled off pretty well now. Okay, good. Glad to clarify that. Well, how do you explain the leveling off? What's happened? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I, I don't know exactly what explains it. I can tell you that we've expanded uh, Canada goose hunting since the mid-90s. Um, in some areas of the state, we now hunt Canada geese 106 days. Um, in the fall, and most of the rest of the state, we hunt them, what is it, 99 days or something like that. So we have really extensive hunting seasons. Um, egg addling goes a long way to uh, controlling population growth. And could you, so those things combined to, to help out. Could you uh, describe egg addling for those of us who aren't quite aware of it? Well, actually, um, Gary can probably describe that better. It's on his, his side of things. Um, I just wanted to call with the population information. Sure. So. I appreciate that. Sure. Thank you. I'll turn that back over to Gary if that's all right. Uh-huh. Sure. Thanks, Adam. Sure. Egg-addling uh, is basically 
uh, where you, you shake the egg. Um, um, and there is a, a, a special process that you have to, to go through. You need to what we call candle the eggs uh, or float the eggs uh, to see what stage of development they're in. And if they are uh, beyond a certain point, then we don't recommend uh, egg addling mm-hmm. uh, rather than uh, basically you need to, to leave that egg there and, and allow it to hatch. Um, but we do have all that kind of information on our website uh, for people that are interested. Okay. We're going to take a short break. Uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg along with Daniel Robison and we're talking about wildlife and wildlife and where it meets uh, the urban culture in Indiana. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Daniel Robison, who's the Assistant News Director at WFIU. We have uh, two guests with us today as we talk about wildlife uh, in Indiana and some of the issues involved with wildlife in urban Indiana. A private lands program manager, Gary Langell of the Indiana Department of Natural Resources, is here, as is uh, Bloomington Director of Animal Care and Control, Lori Rehnquist. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can also join us at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. You can also find Noon Edition on Twitter. We're Twittering. Uh, tweet your comments to Noon Edition. That's one word, uh, Noon Edition. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about this uh, cougar in Terre Haute, these cougar sightings. And uh, I talked to one of the police chiefs uh, over there earlier this week, and he was talking about uh, the methods there. They're trying to use to catch this thing if, if it's real. And he said they're setting traps. Uh, there's cages set up. They're, they might set up cameras that uh, take pictures when something trips a wire or something like that. He also mentioned, uh, uh, you know, there's foot patrols around schools because there's been uh, sightings around schools. So really what – and they talked about maybe running it up a tree, you know, uh, just getting up in a tree so they can handle it there. Uh, he said that they, they're hesitant to use a high-powered rifle, especially within city limits. So really what's the right way to go about this? Uh, it's really difficult because, um, you know, obviously you could go in with a dart gun once you get it to a place, uh, you know, where it's going to be stationary. But uh, even that is uh, a really big guess because you have to have a very good idea about how much that critter weighs. Uh, either you could shoot it if you underestimate, you could shoot it and it just takes off running and you never catch it or uh, you overdose it and you kill it. Uh, so um, a lot of times TV has kind of glorified that process. You only see the good things that have happened. You didn't see all the mistakes that occurred. Uh, so it, it, it is really a difficult situation uh, to try and, and deal with an animal that size um, in that kind of a setting. What would be the biggest mistake that could be made? in trying to catch it? I don't know if baiting is a good idea because you're just trying to encourage it to stick around. Uh, the best thing is uh, if there is really one there, um, let, it, let it find its way out. It does not want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a good habitat for them and uh, they're not going to be comfortable there. So let it find its way out. Okay. All right. Before the break, I said we had three calls, and we did. We only got to two of them, so Mike's been very patient with us. Mike, go ahead. Yes, hello. Good afternoon. Hi. My question uh, is regarding coyotes, and uh, I'm in Bartholomew County. 
uh, it seemed like there's a extreme increase in the number of coyotes and, and uh, reports that they are killing pets on some occasions. My question regards the legalities of what we can do about that. So, in other words, can we? Is there a way that we can help control that legally? Yes, landowners um, have the right to remove uh, any coyote on their property at any time of the year. Okay, um, twenty-four hours a day. Um, you can uh, invite people to come onto your land and uh, help assist, but they have to have your permission to do that. Okay. So that means you can invite somebody on to hunt yes. for the coyote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Lori, we've we got another phone call, but before we get to that, I want to turn to you about the, the time of year, springtime, mm-hmm. and what, what unique problems that causes. Right. We see a, a drastic increase in the number of calls for baby critters, um, birds that have fallen out of nests and baby bunnies that seem to be left alone or fawns that are curled up under a bush. Our first response, unless the animal appears to be injured, our first response is to tell people to leave them alone. Um, Nine times out of ten, mama's going to come back. Mama's hiding or foraging or doing what mamas do and just leave them alone. Um, However, if the animal does appear sick or injured or in need of immediate attention, then call us. And we will either come out and respond or we will refer the caller to wild care, again, that I mentioned earlier. If it truly is an abandoned baby or an injured baby or the mom has been hit by a car, then wild care is there to assist with bottle feeding and raising. But again, first thing would be to leave them alone. And if you're not sure, call first and ask us or DNR or wild care, ask somebody before you get in the middle of it. Okay. And what do you do with uh, – one, one of the things that we see in southern Indiana are turtles crossing the road. What do you do in a case – I know I've seen – there have been lots of people that have I've seen stop by the side of the road, pick up the turtle. Which side do you put it on, I guess? Right? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you do? I guess my recommendation is, number one, make sure it's safe. Mm-hmm. Pull way off the road. Make sure it's safe to get out. Um, there's no sense uh, – uh, causing a serious injury to you or and other people that might be on the road, um, but uh, you know, look at which way it was pointing. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> you know, can go for that option. Uh, I would also like to to say that we do have a uh, nuisance wildlife hotline uh, that's available. It's a one eight hundred number one eight hundred eight nine three four one one six, and if anybody has uh, an issue with uh, orphaned wildlife, uh, they can call that number or if they have problems with woodpeckers uh, pecking on the side of their home, um, call the nuisance hotline and they'll be glad to assist you with the problem. Okay. We have uh, Nicole on the phone. Nicole? Yes. Hi. I was wondering, my husband and I do a lot of traveling back and forth from Bedford where we live to Kansas City, Missouri. And we notice a lot on 70 uh, hawks on the sides of the roads and just over the last six months or so we've been noticing them more and more and then um just about every day someplace in lawrence county i see one so i was just wondering if there's an increase on those or if anybody knows anything about that sure um right now uh most of the hawks that are you're seeing are red-tailed hawks Uh and uh, they're very common and they actually increase in number in this area during the winter months uh, because those that are typically staying more to the north of this area um, are coming down here where it's a little warmer and they're spending the winter here. In, and so you, we have a, a, an increase in red-tailed hawks, um, red, uh, rough-legged hawks here in Indiana during the wintertime. As we start moving towards more towards spring uh, and the grass starts greening up, then a lot of those are going to be starting their migration back north. Okay. All right. Well, I just had noticed a lot more of them, and I just, my husband and I were just talking about it the other day, so I thought I'd call in and ask. All right, Nicole, thanks a lot Thank for the you. call. Thank uh, you. One thing I want to ask both of you guys is uh, when I was growing up, uh, there was this house across town that kept a horse in their backyard, and uh, it's a pretty small backyard relative to the horse, or relative to, we think, of the, the area a horse needs to graze and run around. Just to, in your opinion, what do you think is appropriate for uh, people to keep uh, animals in their backyards? I know some people have large cats. Uh, 
exotic cats. Uh, for in this instance, there was a horse. What do you think is appropriate? There, there are laws in both the city and the county, and it varies county by county um, what the laws are. The city of Bloomington and Monroe County prohibit anyone from owning an exotic, period, or wildlife that's native to Indiana. It's illegal. No, no, please don't do it. Um, or hybrids. And we've had some the infamous zonkey case, the zebra donkey in Monroe County a few years ago, hybrids of wild animals and species native to Indiana should not be kept as pets. So that's the first thing. Um, inside the city limits, you are also not allowed to have livestock. So you, in a smaller urban environment with a small yard, you can't have horses and goats and pigs and sheep. There are standards um, for different species as to how much land they do need to graze and what's appropriate. And again, the county has two animal management officers. If someone is concerned about the care that domestic animals are receiving, they can also call the animal shelter, and that's 349-3492. And an officer can go out and assess whether that animal is being kept appropriately, being fed appropriately, watered, the those types of things. What's the status of chickens in the city? <laughs> you can have chickens inside the city limits now. Um, and of course, there's rules for how you can have them. You are allowed to have hens, no roosters. You can have a maximum of five. There's specifications for the coop and setbacks from your neighbors. And if you have to have permission and waivers signed by your neighbors. But if you meet all those guidelines, you may have five hens inside the city limits. And while we're at it, let's talk about domestic animals and the uh, regulations for how many of those you can have inside mm -hmm. the city limits. I've come close to the limit a few <laughs> times, so I want to make sure I'm legal. It, it's slightly confusing. You have to do a little bit of math. But you may have up to four dogs that are spayed and neutered and not have to have a permit if you go above four dogs, then you have to have what's called a non-commercial kennel permit. It's $25. You may have up to six cats without a permit. Again, if they're spayed, they have to be spayed and neutered. Um, above six cats, you have to get a permit. And then you can have that combination. You can have four dogs and six cats for a total of 10 and still not have to have a permit. But if you go above that, then you need a permit. All right. I'm safe. <laughs> You're safe. Barely. <laughs> All right. Um, I wanted to... Uh, to invite listeners again to call us from all over South Central Indiana and talk to, to Gary Langell from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources and Bloomington Director of Animal Care and Control, Lori Rehnquist. So the number is 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 where you can join the discussion in a number of ways, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And uh, we now have a Twitter feed so you can tweet us at noon edition. That's one word. Uh, Laura, you mentioned uh, the laws for having animals in the city. Mm -hmm. What's the range of these laws? You mentioned Bloomington laws specifically. Mm -hmm. Are they similar elsewhere? Um, different, different communities really vary. Um, some of our more rural counties in Indiana have, have nothing. They don't have laws, leash laws, much less laws regulating what kinds of animals you can have. Probably your more developed, more urbanized areas – have more laws like we do, but it's a really wide range of laws in, in Indiana in general. And you mentioned the two officers that the county has. Mm -hmm. uh, is that uh, Are they understaffed? Is, are, is two enough to kind of cover the whole county? In my opinion, they're understaffed and I would certainly support um, the county, but that's a budget issue, of course, funding more positions. There are two officers that serve the entire county. The city has four officers that serve the city limits. So the types of calls and how quickly they can respond in the county is very limited. All right, Gary, I wanted to ask about uh, you know, your title that I keep reading, the uh, Private Lands Program. What mm -hmm. is that? Um, that's within the Division of Fish and Wildlife. And uh, basically, we offer services to private landowners to help them develop wildlife habitat on their property. We have different uh, financial incentive programs, help uh, uh, cover the cost of developing wildlife habitat. We work, we provide technical assistance to um, USDA uh, Farm Service Agency and Natural Resource Offices to assist landowners in enrolling in various USDA programs. Um, and like, likewise, we also deal with uh, the wildlife conflicts as well. And what's, what's the uh, advantage of developing a wildlife, ha wildlife habitat on your property? And before you answer that, I, I, Laura, I don't know if you're uh, the right person within the city to talk to about the the city has a program for wildlife habitat too. So I don't know if you yeah you, you're not, not the right place. Not, so, okay, but the city of Bloomington <laughs> does have you can see you know uh, wildlife habitat yard or or mm -hmm. something like that. So maybe somebody from the city will call us and let us know more <laughs> about that. Gary, go ahead. yeah, uh, um, 
I think we're confusing a couple of things. There is a program. I could do that. Uh, it used to be classified wildlife habitat. Now it's called classified wildlands, and that's administered by the Division of Forestry, um, along with their classified forest program. And that is um, uh, by law, landowners can enroll their land in classified wildlands or classified forest, and get a reduction in the assessed value of their property for property tax purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, the program that you might be talking about, the backyard wildlife habitat, right. uh-huh. is administered by the National Wildlife Federation. Okay, that is what I'm talking about. Right. Thank you. And there are, you, you know, there are little um, criteria that you have to meet. It's pretty simple, but uh, as long as you meet the criteria, fill out the application form, uh, you can uh, submit that and most likely you'll get approved to have your backyard designated as a habitat. Well, what are the criteria? Some people say, oh, if you just don't cut your grass for a while, you might be able to meet this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really am not that well-versed in the program, but you can certainly go to the Wildlife Federation website and, and find the criteria. Okay. We have a phone call. And it's Michael. Michael? Hey, I uh – uh just a question of curiosity for you. Um, I grew up in California, and, and when I was growing up, my parents had bees, honeybees. Uh, and I mean, once or twice a year, we we had someone came, come and, and uh, collect the honey and, and the uh, and the honeycomb. And uh, anyways, my wife and I now and then uh, daydream about uh, uh, having having uh, honeybees. We we seem to eat a lot of honey. I don't know why, but uh, anyways, I, I guess I guess my question is: what are what are the uh, rules or regula- regulations uh, surrounding honeybees? Uh, I would encourage you to go to uh, the DNR website, www.in.dnr.gov, and go to the Division of Entomology webpage. And you ought to be able to find the regulations for maintaining bees there. Awesome. I know there are quite a few people around Indiana that do have bees. So. And they have to be inspected uh, because of the different uh, diseases and viruses, bacteria, and so forth. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Michael. Uh, 855-0811, 877-285-9348, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or noon edition if you want to tweet us on Twitter. Uh, we've been talking about uh, animals coming into uh, on people's property and the problems that might cause. I'm curious, what does urban wildlife add to a community in your opinion? I mean, what are the positive aspects of this? Well, yeah, there's a... Uh, I can't uh, give you the figures, but there are literally billions of dollars that are invested by people feeding birds and viewing birds, photographing wildlife, uh, the aesthetic values that uh, wildlife have, people wanting to be close to nature. Um, It's very um, economically important. Um, Like I said, it's a billion-dollar industry, uh, people attracting wildlife and feeding wildlife. Lori? I think it's also um, an opportunity to educate children as well on what, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. As, as Gary said earlier, you don't go out and try to pet the buck, but you can appreciate nature, understand why those animals are there. Um, the Monroe County Humane Association does a lot of wildlife education in the schools for children to try to both teach the value of wildlife and preserving habitat and how to treat animals with kindness, as well as how to be safe around wildlife. We had uh, the only show that we've done that we actually did a video uh, of as well, and you can find it on the website at wfiu.org slash noon edition, I'm sure. Um, we had uh, Sarah and Sarah, and Sarah, Sarah mm-hmm. Hayes and Sarah Delone in the studio, and uh, Journey, the dog, was mm-hmm. sitting in one of the chairs over there. <laughs> but also, um, I can't remember the name of the owl, but Sarah Boris, Delone brought, I think. brought Boris the mm-hmm. owl and. We have a video that you can see of Boris the Owl from the MCHA's education program. So you can go to our website and check out that archived show. I want to ask Gary about armadillo. They're, they're on their way, we hear. Yes, that's, um, it seems that they are moving uh, up from the south and um, uh, they're in uh, Illinois, southern Illinois, in Missouri. Uh, so we do expect them to creep up and uh, – eventually come here, much like coyotes. Uh, you know, we didn't used to have coyotes 
but that was kind of a natural expansion of the range. Um, whether this has something to do with global warming, uh, you know, we really don't know so, at this point. So, what are they? I mean, what what are, what are they? How big are they? What what are we going to be seeing? Oh, you know, I'm not from Texas. Uh, they're about the size of a possum. Uh-huh. Um, in size, um, they look kind of like a possum, except they have uh, more of an armor coating to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Should, so they like we... to burrow in the ground, and dig holes. <laughs> Should we steer clear? Or, uh... Go up and pet it, or <laughs> don't go pet it. Daniel. They no. they are um, they go after grubs. Um, uh, it, it, a lot of uh, much like the habits of a skunk, they eat uh, insects, grubs, and so forth. So they're not really a, a vicious predator. Are there any specific diseases that they carry? I really am not uh, brushed up on my armadillo. Okay, all right, all right. Biology. Just, so. just checking. Just checking. Well, just in general, what uh, what diseases should people be wary of uh, in in wildlife? Uh, think of uh, rabid raccoons. Just come to mind. Uh, what else is out there? Well, yeah, we have distemper. Uh, we don't have raccoon um, rabies yet, um, but um, and hopefully we won't. But it is. Uh, Approaching from the east coast, uh, it's in uh, western, I mean, eastern Ohio. Um, so that certainly is one we should be concerned of. Uh, of course, uh, rabies is one in general wildlife. Uh, skunks, bats do carry rabies, and they typically are the ones most common carriers. Um, um, why? Well, you mentioned honey, honeybees that they might have uh, some diseases. Well, those are diseases that they spread from colony to colony oh. that it's really reduced our, our bee populations and it's a serious threat to the whole honeybee um, honey industry. You know, there are, oh, go ahead. I was just going to add, I think, on the on the disease side of things, for people who don't know what it looks like when a raccoon or an animal has distemper, um, we we get plenty of calls with people finding a friendly raccoon that's out in the middle of the day standing in their driveway. It's probably not a friendly raccoon. It's probably a very sick raccoon. And so we would like to just encourage the public, as we've said several times, any wildlife, you should not be walking up and trying to pet. But if a wild animal is acting like it it shouldn't be, then it's probably sick and you should call somebody, call us and let us help and don't approach because we don't want the public to get hurt or sick. An- another uh, disease associated with raccoons is raccoon roundworm mm-hmm. and that one's pretty prevalent. Uh, we can – we see some areas where you have upwards of 80 percent of raccoons being infected by raccoon roundworm and that does have health implications to us. Um, especially small children that uh, can get the eggs uh, on their hands and then put their hands in their mouth. Um, It can cause some significant problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why uh, we really discourage people from feeding wildlife, Mm -hmm. keeping it it at bay. We have just a a few minutes to go in the program. I I know uh, we talked about the reintroduction of the wild turkey in Indiana, and I've heard that that has caused a problem for some other species, like the grouse. Is that uh, is that true? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. All right. No, um, it, it's not a problem for grouse. Um, uh, the two certainly our grouse population is declining, but that's more due to the loss of their habitat. They require early successional forest grounds, um, and we're losing early successional forest as as our timber, as our forests mature. Uh, that habitat is no longer there. Mm-hmm. So our population is declining, but it has nothing to do with turkey. Okay. Turkey, on the other hand, used to – we used to think that turkey could survive or only could, could survive in woodland areas. Uh, now we find that uh, we have turkey that have just been very successful in habitating, inhabiting a lot of different environments. Okay. We're going to try to slide in one more phone call in the last couple of minutes. Troy's on the phone. Troy? Hi. Um, I just have a quick question as far as uh, we have a large population of ducks and geese in Kokomo um, in Highland Park area, and this caused a big stink uh, many years ago in the paper for months uh, because there would be feces and, you know, whatnot in the yards. They would go up into people's yards. Um, but this area was, was, you know, popular for feeding the stale bread, uh, that type of scenario. So what could be done as far as uh, 
population control on that because if you go in there with a young child, um, the child's going to get exercise because it's going to be running. I mean, they, they will chase you down and, and snap at you. So, And that, that is, a, it is an, an issue, and we see that uh, a lot in urban areas, uh, especially around malls uh, where the geese are, are nipping at people as they walk by. Uh, but uh, really, that's, that issue is going to have to come start at the town or uh, city, local unit of government level if it's owned by the city uh, and make the decision, one, to uh, enforce some no-feeding bans. Uh, and certainly that will help. Um, doing habitat modification uh, is a long-term solution. And then uh, if necessary, short-term uh, obtain some permits uh, through U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to do some of the population control work. All right, and we are out of time. Yes, we are. We'd like to thank uh, Becky Robbins and Misty for following us following us on Twitter today. Uh, we've been uh, thank you for tweeting your comments to Noon Edition. Thanks a lot, and I want to thank you, Daniel. Thanks for being here, and also Lori and uh, Gary. Thanks a lot, and Mary Catherine couldn't be here with us, but Ariana Prothero was here as our producer today, and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. Thanks very much to both of you, and thanks to you for listening to Noon Edition. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville Telephone Company, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922. Offering bundled packages, high-speed internet, and wireless phones. Smithville Telephone, local pride, global technology, information at smithville.net.